This week on Classic Conversations, Tom Petty is our featured artist. Frank Ost is here. This is Tim Friedman, 70s Rock Conversations. Enjoy. Frank Ost, welcome back. He is our rock and roll expert, and uh, he's going to start things off now that our Hall of Fame inductees have uh, been taken care of one by one from 1986 all the way to 2021. Remember, that's right. Hall of Fame inductees are going to be uh, at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, a bigger venue. What with COVID and all, you can spread out a little bit more. It's an indoor venue, but it's exactly. a, it'll be at the end of October on a Saturday night, October 30th, right here in Cleveland. So instead of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee list, we're going to give Frankie an opportunity to give his idea to should get in. Give me two artists that you think should be at least nominated, if not inducted. Well, uh, this week I did come up with a couple here. First one is a, well, it's a pet project of mine, the Jay Giles Band. Good one. I read a list of top 100 snubs in Cleveland.com, and believe it or not, they didn't even make the list. They are <laughs> flat out one of the greatest live bands of all time. I know that personally. I saw them a couple of times. Woofer goofer. And I personally saw them blow some main acts off the stage as an opening act. I recommend Blow Your Face Out, which was a live album from 76. Yeah. Kind of shows them at the kind of the peak of their uh, abilities. Um, often called the American Rolling Stones, they actually opened for them on two different tours. Um, they released eight studio albums to varying degrees of success. Then they come out with um, Love Stinks, which kind of set the table, um, got a little bit more airplay, um, set the table for success, which would finally come with Freeze Frame. Yeah. Uh, international hit and number one album. Still in all, they had three top 20 albums, 10 top 40 records, and including the uh, number one centerfold. Interestingly enough, they never changed any band members in their 15-year of their classic period. In my opinion, they are just flat out the most disrespected band of all time. Uh, we lost Jay Giles uh, back in 2017, but the other five members are still with us. I want to get them in uh, before anything happens to them. Uh, so uh, that's a band, as far as I'm concerned, uh, absolutely should get in. You want to hear a good tune? Um, download One Last Kiss from early 1979. It's a great tune. That's, they had so yeah, many. It's a good and rock and roll song, but it's uh, more subtle. Yeah, and uh, that was the thing about them. And they did, you know, kind of the classic R&B songs. They did a lot of covers, but they also wrote some some fantastic stuff. Uh, uh, again, like uh, Sanctuary, Monkey Island. Uh, those were not played, and they did not sell well, but there's some really great tunes on there. I think they might be a forgotten band in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you have another one for us, Bad Company. 
think about you. I think about love, darling. I don't live without you and your love. If I had those golden dreams of my yesterday. Classic lineup with the sublime Paul Rogers, the lead singer, released six albums, all reaching the top 30 both in America and the UK, and four reaching the top 10. Their first three albums, Bad Company, Straight Shooter, and Run With The Pack, are the soundtrack of the mid-70s and the basis for, uh, you know, album-oriented rock programming (laughs) to this day. Oh, yeah. Uh, And in the days before disco, songs like Can't Get Enough and Good Love and Gone Bad packed the dance floors. Finally, in recent years, Paul Rogers is back in the fold, and they are again touring. Time to get them in the Hall of Fame while they can still perform. I can imagine it now, Frankie on the dance floor at the, the mining company. Absolutely. What was it before that, the power station or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Or the Rampant Lion or one of those places. <laughs> Baratko's, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so Bad Company will be featured in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's part of our continuing series. We'd like to hear more from. Right. Uh, um, some bands like Boston, we heard enough from, I thought. Mm-hmm. And Bad Company isn't one of them. I wanted to hear more. As we head into the 80s, I know Paul Rogers did a lot of stuff, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but you're right. They definitely deserve consideration for at least nomination. Right. We'll come back with our Two Should Get In segment next week. One Hit Wonders. Frankie, you've been waiting for this one for a long time. (laughs) The Archies, Sugar, Sugar. Not quite sure if Archie sang the lead vocals, or was it Jughead or Mr. Weatherby? I don't know, but... Boy, when I think of one-hit wonders, this has to be the greatest of all time. Uh, it was number one for quite a while. You didn't like Jingle Jangle, their follow-up? I, I did like Jingle Jangle, but boy, there's nothing like Sugar Sugar. Uh, uh, you think of bubblegum music, and boy, this is it. Sugar, oh, honey, honey, you are my candy girl. Featured our friend Jeff Berry, who's written many, many hits, and uh, Sugar Sugar was one of them. Andy Kim also co-wrote that song. He sang Rock Me Gently a few years later. That was number one for him in 74. Sung by Ron Dante, the song of the year in 1969. I already told you that Ron went on to do backup singing and uh, producing Barry Manilow's hits all through yeah, the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. So. Jingle Jangle, 
actually made it to number 10, Frankie, but I think we still think of Sugar Sugar as a one-hit wonder. I, I always get Jingle Jangle confused with uh, Tommy Rose Jam Up and Jelly Tight anyway. So. Right, exactly. But Sugar Sugar was just a, such a phenomenal hit in 1969, and I think we said this before, it's a fitting way to end the 60s, I think. It, it started with, like, theme from Summer Place and all the schmaltz that you heard in 1960, came full circle right past all the stuff of the tumultuous years and the psychedelic and ended up with Sugar Sugar as number one for 1969. So if you just yeah. looked at a time capsule and didn't know anything about the 60s, you'd say, nothing happened in the 60s. Exactly. Musically didn't change at all. That's funny that you mentioned that, but you're right. Uh, this was kind of an innocent song and yeah, maybe we were losing our innocence, but it was, uh, it was fun nonetheless. Sugar Sugar, the Archies. Our second one-hit wonder, I had to play it for Frankie before we started recording because he had no idea what I was talking about. Softly Whispering I Love You by the English Congregation. Frankie, you know why they called it the English Congregation? I'm not sure. Because Mike Curb Congregation, you know, they were performing halftime shows. They were all the rage in the early 70s and beyond. Yeah, they were kind of a up-with-people type show, yeah. So this British band, the English Congregation knew that my curb congregation was also taking a crack at the same song, and so they added the English to congregation. Gotcha. If you hear the vocals, they're sung by a fellow named Brian Keith, not Uncle Bill from Family Affair, another Brian Keith. And if you're familiar with the song Into the Night by Benny Mardonis, I think you'll understand where we're getting at with that song. It was written by top songwriters Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway, who we've spoken of before. They wrote... You've Got Your Troubles by The Fortunes, Long Cool Woman, um, My Baby Loves Lovin', and I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Well, that makes sense, yeah. So Roger and Roger also recorded their version as David and Jonathan back in 1967, Mm -hmm. and then the English congregation took a stab at it and made it all the way to number 29 in 1972. Wow, that's fantastic. Also, uh, on the Atco record label. Remember the Atco record label? Yeah, I do remember the Atco. Uh, The B-side was When Susie Takes the Plane. Pretty sure that uh, Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife was on Atco Records. All right, Frankie, as we make our way through the 70s, number one albums for the year 1971, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Is that in your record collection, or was it? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, I don't think I have it anymore, uh, but sooner or later I'll probably go uh, download it from 
Well, one of the services, yeah. Seven weeks at number one. George had something to say, and he said it, and yeah. uh, quite uh, loudly. Excellent record. What can you say? Well, I probably had it in my record collection at one time and reluctantly had a part with it when I was looking for dinner money or something, just starting out. So I probably <laughs> sold it back to the record store and regretted it, but some you've been able to find again at the record stores around oh, here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Back. You might be able to, to dig it out of the the bin and you know if it's something i had it's in good shape yeah. no needle marks and scratches and smudges jesus christ superstar various artists that spent a few weeks here and there top of the charts that's another one i think i had or my brother had or something so i listened to it and i thought okay it's an interesting album you know i don't know how to love him and i've seen the show a few times yeah i I know my sister had it. She brought it home from college with her, and I listened to it. You know, it, like you said, it was fine. But show music's never been my trigger. Uh, unlike my daughter, shout out to my daughter yeah. who uh, absolutely loves it. Well, Godspell came out the year later, so that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar is good. That's it's, right. It's a good show and, and a really good soundtrack, and spent a total of three weeks at the top of the charts. Janis Joplin in there too with Pearl. And uh, Four Way Street, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the live album recorded at the Fillmore East and the Forum in L.A. and the Chicago Auditorium. Dressing room fights, though, and strifes led to that band's breakup. They didn't start uh, recording again until 1977. Exactly. They came out with the uh, album, which featured uh, just a song before I go. Mm-hmm. So but they would reunite for a stadium tour in the summer of 74. Yes, and, and, that, and was, that was quite a big tour. Yeah. yeah, it was only another three years till they put something out, which is commonplace these days. Yeah. Just a song before I go to whom it may concern. Traveling twice the speed of sound, it's easy to get burned. When the shows were over. Sticky Fingers spent four weeks at the top of the charts. What did you think about the Stones and Sticky Fingers? Or uh, the album I cover? love that record. Um, and as a little hint, uh, we will be featuring that uh, in our album cover segment. But I love the album. Uh, bought it when it first came out. I remember one of the first ones that I actually bought 
you know, the first week it was out. We talked about Beggar's Banquet meeting with controversy. Record executives didn't like the graffiti on the bathroom wall on the original cover. That's right. What do the critics think about this cover? We should probably talk about that in a minute, but I want to give get a little preview of what, what, like, what did mom and dad think? What did record stores think? Was there an uproar? Yes, there was definitely an uproar. <laughs> but after that, Carol King, you know, tamped everything down. Tapestry came out and spent a bunch of weeks at the top of the charts in the middle of the summer, mid-June to the end of September of 71. Best-selling album of the 70s, uh, certainly by female artist. Absolutely. Carol King's Tapestry. What a fantastic record. And uh, as I've said before, uh, more than uh, deserves to be in the Rock Hall as a performer this time. Rod Stewart's Every Picture Tells a Story had Maggie May on it and four weeks at the top of the charts. And I like that rock and roll sound of Rod Stewart, that raspy rock and roll sound. about the, the show tunes he did later on. And yeah, the, later on and he got to be disco and he got yeah. to be kind of a, the sex machine and these were more roots. John Lennon had Imagine at the top of the charts for one week as did Isaac Hayes with the Shaft soundtrack. That's right. Uh, Santana, Santana 3 spent five weeks at the top of the charts. And then Sly and the Family Stone rounded out the year with There's a Riot Going On featuring Running Away and Family Affair. Yeah, boy, there was a riot going on. That was kind of the last of his uh, big records from uh, his classic period. So you had some good albums rounding out the year of Stones. Carole King, Rod Stewart, John Lennon, Isaac Hayes, Santana, Sly and the Family Stone. Nothing weak there. No, nothing weak. And uh, really, you know, that was the early 70s, that kind of music. 1971, Billboard's Top 10 Singles. Knock Three Times by Tony Orlando and Dawn. They had a string of hits, and they were just getting revved up. Tie a Yellow Ribbon was uh, going to be a number one hit for them a couple years later. Absolutely. Just My Imagination, Temptations. John Denver's Take Me Home, Country Roads. Kind of the first time we heard from him. Yeah. Now, we heard Leaving on Jet Plane, the Peter, Paul, and Mary song, which he right. wrote. Yeah. But then he'd be a big star in the 70s. Donny Osmond, talk about a big star. <laughs> the Tiger Bee magazines, everybody loved Donny Osmond. Absolutely. Go away, little girl. That was number seven. Number six, remember the lament of the uh, Indian Reservation, the Cherokee? Paul Revere and the Raiders. How can men have broken heart? The Bee Gees, with their comeback, they had broken up just like two years earlier Mm -hmm. and got back together again, thankfully. I can think of younger days When living for my life Was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told about the sorrow 
Can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the And that would start a, a 70s run for them, wouldn't it? Yeah, this was kind of... Uh, a little bit of hint of things to come, let's put it that way. Yep, the Osmonds again It's uh, with One Bad Apple. Carol King, It's Too Late, back by uh, Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet. That's right. Rod Stewart, Maggie May, and the B-side was Reason to Believe. That was number two. Yeah, yeah great record and uh, yeah, one of those sing-along songs that everybody knows the words to. Do you know the words to Joy to the World? Well, probably do. <laughs> <laughs> the Hoyt Axton song written by him and sung by Three Dog Night, number one, for the entire year, 1971. Incredible. It's good yeah. year of music, wasn't and it? And they were, you know, as we talked about before, uh, that group, uh, Three Dog Night, was just rolling at the time. A couple of artists that really made it all the way through the 70s. Uh, the BGs were so big. Carol King did too, Rod Stewart. But Three Dog Night and John Denver had their string of hits and then kind of tailed off as we hit the mid to late 70s. Absolutely. But they certainly were at the top of the charts. And they really just got going. John Denver, especially in 1971. You know, Three Dog Night had, had some hits earlier than that. So Joy yep. to the World, I thought, was a very fitting number one. Best album covers, 1971, kind of teased it earlier. I think the Stones might be one of them. Frankie? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers came out that year. Um, and, of course, the uh, album's artwork emphasizes the suggestive innuendo of the Sticky Fingers title, uh, showing a close-up of a jeans-clad male crotch. The cover of the original vinyl LP uh, released featured a working zipper and uh, the cover photo of a male model's crotch clad in tight blue jeans. Many fans assumed that it was an image of Mick Jagger, uh, but it definitely wasn't. Now, they're not sure who actually was, but they figure uh, the artwork was conceived by Andy Warhol, who we've already mentioned with the uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. Yeah, banana. Yeah. Um, and so they're figuring it was one of the models in his dream factory at that time. One of the biggest problems with the record was that the zip, zipper was doing damage to the record once they packed it. As you can imagine, that metal thing uh, on the outside dug right into the record. Hmm. Uh, so they had a lot of returns. Um, they found out <laughs> that by unzipping it down to the label, they could, you know, uh, remedy the situation. So that's what ended up happening. Also features uh, an unusual uh, first that was the first usage of their tongue and uh, Lips logo. Yeah, famous of, logo. Yeah, of the Rolling Stone Records, uh, which was originally designed by John Pache in 1970. Uh, it quickly became the most famous logo in the history of popular music. 
I bought it, I think, the first week it was on sale, brought it home, and my mom kind of policed my record collection, so to speak. Every once in a while, she'd roll through it. When she came across that record, she rolled her eyes and she looked at me and said, just make sure your dad doesn't see this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, Rolling Stone's Sticky Fingers. You were, what, 15 at the time? Exactly. young to have something like that uh, at least at that time now i think it would be you know pretty pretty wide open yeah. but back then that was kind of uh, risque uh the other one i have um which was uh, another big album of the year that we haven't mentioned is uh chicago live at uh, carnegie hall mm-hmm. um it was their fourth record and basically what it did was kind of uh sum up the first four uh albums or first three albums and then kind of added a little bit more to it. Uh, of course, it can, the album package contained all the pertinent facts about the songs, band, content, uh, but also the original LP uh, had two giant posters of the band, a poster of Carnegie Hall's exterior, an insert about voter information, and a 20-page softcover <laughs> booklet uh, that contained uh, photos of the band playing during concerts, and also, uh, it contained a full touring schedule uh, of their first tour through the 1971 U.S. tour, which had literally every concert date they'd ever played. The band's official, uh, official website labels the cover design as white tile. Um, the packaging contained, also contained some strident political uh, messaging about how we, the youth of the country, can change the system. One of those giant posters uh, was on my bedroom wall for many a year, uh, and it really, truly, it was like wallpaper. It covered most of my wall. Uh, Chicago Live at Carnegie Hall was the best-selling box set by a rock act and held that for 15 years until uh, another uh, gentleman who is known for live albums, Bruce Springsteen, put out his live box set. There's lots to read and lots to look at while you're listening to Absolutely. Live at Carnegie Hall. That was the fun thing, just bringing that home and then sitting at home, listening to the tunes, and then you had four records of tunes, but you also had all that neat stuff that was in the box. And you couldn't find a better venue than Carnegie Hall either. Absolutely. For the artist or for the listener. And I think they this uh, kind of commemorated, they sold out a week's worth of concerts there. And they were the first rock act ever Frankie, brand new segment uh, that I'm looking forward to. It's called Download Discovery. And, you know, our show features the years 67 to 82. It may or may not feature an album, a CD, or a couple of songs from that period, perhaps before, most likely after. And I'll tell you why, because there's a lot of stuff that I like to listen to in mid-80s into the 90s, even to today. But we happen to hear it once on one of the stations or in a shopping mall or something or somebody's car. And I think people have a a feel for our musical taste, what we like and not so much like. So I'll let you begin. 
your download discovery. Is it an album uh, or a song? Uh, it's an album and uh, one that I know you're familiar with also um, by a group uh, by the name of Ambrosia who uh, started actually started their career in the late 70s. Now their hits would be in the early 80s, The Biggest Part of Me. Yeah, David Pack um, and Gang. Yeah, You're the Only Woman. Uh, good stuff, uh, well worth looking into. But the one that I love is their first record. When did it come out? Uh, it came out in 1975. And um, it was progressive rock. Um, think of a mix between Alan Parsons' project and Yes, and you'll probably be pretty close to what, what their sound was. Definitely different from what would come later in their more soft rock phase. Yeah, How Much I Feel. And... Exactly. Um, it was, oddly enough, uh, or maybe not, it was mixed by Alan Parsons, which I never knew until I uh, did some uh, uh that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was just before iRobot. Exactly. Uh, which I guess they played on. Oh, really? Another thing, yeah. A okay. couple of the uh, uh, members played on a couple of, uh, of the Alan Parsons uh, Project records. Well, he was probably getting ready to work with Al Stewart, too, with You're the Cat. Absolutely. He was doing his albums. Just to give you an idea uh, what I mean by progressive rock, uh, Nice, Nice, Very Nice, which is was I love that kind song. of uh, the best song, in my opinion, on there was a poem written by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Hmm. Uh, Mama Frog, which was on the second side of the album, uh, is actually has Jabberwocky recited during it. Hmm. So you can tell that they were kind of into something a little bit different than normal uh, uh, Top 40 stuff. But it had a couple of um, great up-tempo rockers and World Leave Me Alone, Time Waits for uh, No One, just fantastic stuff. And uh, kind of the big hit off the album, was holding on to yesterday, which is a beautiful ballad. That's like the uh, early fall of 75. David Pack's a great vocalist. Oh. He worked with a lot of those soft, jazz, smooth jazz artists of the 80s, like David Benoit. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, boy, they this is just a fantastic album. If you don't have it, it did manage to make uh, it up to number 22 on the charts. Basically, it's pretty much been forgotten since. So if uh, you haven't heard of this one, uh, you know, this is the time. Go download it. Uh, take a listen to it and let me know what you think. Yeah, you can certainly preview any of these on YouTube. Absolutely. Some of the videos would be there. Uh, for me, it's Tanita Tikaram, T-I-K-A-R-A-M. She was an English artist who in 1988 was 19 years old and put the album together called Ancient Heart, produced by Rod Argent. So she wasn't fooling around with her solo career. It's a great album. It's a, a coming-of-age type of album. It's, it's breezy. It's smooth. It's, uh, it makes you think. It takes you to a whole different place, which is what I like about music. And uh, I'll tell you, in 1988, I was playing the New Age, the Andreas Voldenweider and the Will Ackermans okay. and the Peter Buffetts of the world. And I got into the smooth jazz artists like David Benoit, David mm-hmm. Pack, and Russ Freeman and the Rippingtons. And we had Larry Carlton, Tom Scott, you know, the whole... And then we had the vocalists like Linda Ronstadt and her Neville and anything smooth. 
right. in late 80s at 104. Easy 104 was the number two rated station in the market. So Larry Morrow was programming that station correctly. Um, but when I came home after my 7 to midnight shift, Monday through Friday, I was looking for anything that I could listen to that was my age that was current. That was a little different, yeah. And I found it. What did I find it? Three or four great artists. Interestingly, are all female. Uh, Julia Fordham. I'll talk about her later on. Uh, also, Till Tuesday, remember they had Coming Up Close? And oh, yeah. What About Love? Well, they had an album out called Everything's Different Now. And then Tracy Chapman with her debut album. And uh, it was just a sensational album. She won a Grammy for Best New Artist that year. So I'll be touching on those albums and some of those songs later on in our our download discovery. But Tanita Tickerum's Ancient Heart features a couple of really cool tunes that uh, I think beg your download. At least preview them on YouTube. I think you'll like what you see. And then you can download the songs called Twist in My Sobriety and then Cathedral Song. And Cathedral Song, some of the critics liked it and some others. In fact, one of them said, if you try to figure out the lyrics to Cathedral Song by Tanita Tickerum, you can, but you'll be wasting three minutes and 26 <laughs> seconds of your life. <laughs> it's about a coming of age. It's kind of like uh, someone saved my life tonight, except uh, from a female perspective. She didn't like to gotcha. get married. Apparently her boyfriend did. She wanted to explore like her life as a young woman would. I saw from the cathedral You were watching me Yes, I saw from the cathedral what I should be So take my time And take my lies Cause all the others They wanna take my life And I watch With an intent basic Well it's the same for you You hold your hand And it's all firmly stand what would you make me do to take my time and take my advice? Cause all the others, they want to take my life. Serious for the winter time to wrench my It's not up-tempo. Um, like I said, it kind of takes you into a dreamy area. It's kind of fun. So when I came home from being on the air, I want to listen to something, and I would just play like that song and the others from that album, Ancient Heart, uh, Tanita Tickerum's The Artist, and the songs Twist in My Sobriety, and Cathedral Song. I think it's worth your download. Sounds great. Featured artist Frankie, been looking forward to this, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, by the way, what album would you have me start my record collection of Tom Petty if I didn't already have anything of his? Well, I think uh, with him, start almost at the beginning, which was uh, his second album, Damn the Torpedoes, uh, came out uh, in the late 70s, yeah, kind of got, th- got, got thrown into that punk attitude type thing, but it owed much more to kind of uh, more of the birds tradition yeah. or, uh, you know, uh, something like that. Rather than being punk or new wave or anything like that. Produced by um, Jimmy Iovine. Absolutely. Had some uh, great 
hits on there, stuff that he would be playing for the rest of his career. Uh, Don't do me like that. Refugee, here comes my girl, even the losers. I mean, just fantastic stuff, yeah. Sometimes I don't know why, but this old town just seems so hopeless. I ain't really sure, but it seems I remember the good times with just a little bit more in focus. But when she puts her arms around, I think if I were going to pick uh, one to start off with, uh, that's a great one. From there, it leads you into everything else. You can go backwards or forwards, can't yep, you? Yep, absolutely. Featured artist Thomas Earl Petty led the band called Mud Crunch. was also a member of the Traveling Wilburys. We'll uh, talk that's about right, yeah. uh, those fellows before too long. Born in Gainesville, Florida in 1950, his father was Earl, a traveling salesman, not a Wilbury. Mother Kitty worked at the local tax office. Okay. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees 2002 met Elvis at the age of 10. Okay. And was a big fan of his ever since. He knew he wanted to be a rock and roller the moment he saw the Beatles on The Ed Sullivan Show. Boy, never heard that one before. Mud Crunch featured <laughs> Ben Montench and Mike Campbell, who would also be in the Heartbreakers later on. Uh, Petty briefly, briefly had a solo career, but uh, started collaborating with Tench and Campbell, as well as Stan Lynch and Ron Blair. And they were on their way. Their first album was out in late 76, Breakdown, and American Girl, which yeah. I just heard American Girl today. It sounds as current as, as it did back then. It does. Almost 50 years ago, 45 years ago. <laughs> On the Billboard album chart, it did somewhat better in the UK, uh, which isn't surprising. Seems uh, the UK is a little bit ahead of us with uh, new stuff and, you know, trying out different bands. Yeah, and I think at that time especially, um, they were a little bit easier to crack the market, let's put it that way. 1978 brought us You're Gonna Get It. It was released in May of that year, I Need to Know, Listen to Her Heart. Both of those are still staples of the rock stations. That's right. And good, good stuff. Uh, that did much better this time around. It did do well here, number 23 in the States and 24 in the UK. No covers in either of their first two albums, so they wrote all their songs, in other words. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing, especially for a group starting out. Yeah. It, yeah. Like Mike Campbell, who'd go on to uh, write or co-write The Boys of Summer, Refugee, Here Comes My Girl, favorable reviews from the rock uh, magazine Rolling Stones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well. Then Damn the Torpedoes just blew the lid off everything, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Co-produced by Tom and Jimmy Iovine, you know, Refugee and all the songs we talked about. Uh, Petty originally balked at the 
record contract. He was not crazy about how MCA Records had taken over ABC Records. So we talked about this earlier. He decided to just uh, play his hand and file for bankruptcy. Wow. So they kind of came to an agreement. Uh, MCA called um, a little-known offshoot of their record label called Backstreet Records, and they were back in business. So Damn the Torpedoes came out in October of 79, the breakout album number two here, and number one in Canada. It made, uh, surprisingly, the number 57 in the UK. You would think it would have done better. Yeah, I would have thought that would have been a big hit there. Yeah, easy in number one, but it wasn't, and it was held out of the top spot by The Wall. Okay. Pink Floyd, that that certainly makes sense. Rolling Stone and Village Voice hailed it. They loved it, saying production value finally matched his songwriting ability. Similar to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Sold over 3 million copies. That, uh, so that's, what, three times platinum. You got it. Wow. Great record. Nineteen eighty one, May of that year, Hard Promises, The Waiting, Woman in Love, King's Road, number five in the album charts, Jimmy again, co produced with Petty. Good album. Um I waited a long time for that one, a whole yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Do you have that album? No, I don't, but uh, I I do really like it. It's it's tremendous album. The waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, I so We waited and waited <laughs> a whole year and a half, didn't we? Yeah. see Tom Petty in concert? Yeah, I did see him once, and it was about this that time period, uh, early 80s, where I saw him, uh, I believe, at Blossom Music Center. 1982 brought us Long After Dark, Change Your Heart, which I really like. You Got Lucky, those are all big MTV hit videos, 1982, oh, yeah. you know. Southern Accents in 1985, Don't Come Around Here No More, written by Dave Stewart of the Arrhythmics. And then a live album came out in November featuring Stevie Nicks, helping out a couple of tunes, including Needles and Pins. The cover of the Searcher's song, Needles and Pins. Uh, That's right. That made it to number 37. That's co-written by Sonny Bono. Yeah, exactly.
and it also featured a nice cover of the version of the Birds' So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, which was released in Europe. That was a, I remember the MTV uh, music video yeah, to that. me too. Uh, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough was 1987. The first cut, Jam and Me, was co-written by Bob Dylan. Kind of shape of things to come. I did not realize yeah. that Dylan had anything to do with that, but boy, now that you say it, that sounds that sounds like a Dylan record, doesn't it? Yeah, and He's it would kind of yeah. complaining. Yes, and it wouldn't be long until he teamed up with Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynne, mm-hmm. George Harrison. Dylan and Harrison, Lynn, Roy Orbison, my goodness. Fun stuff. Yeah, they had a conversation, Tom did with Jeff Lynn, and they all collaborated, and they were working on George Harrison's album, Cloud Nine. Right. And then they decided to put something else out, Handle With Care, was uh, just a great standalone tune, but they knew that their record label and the audience would definitely want more, and so they got it, you know? The end of the line. That was a follow-up. Roy died of a heart attack in December of 1988. I guess his last show was at the Front Row Theater. Okay. Roy, and then he wasn't feeling well and was going to go to to England to uh, film a couple of videos to support the Traveling Wilbury stuff, mm. but never made it there because he died like a couple of days later oh my God. in December of 88. So the end of the line has a video showing the empty rocking chair. Oh, that's right. I, rem- I do remember that. They never really, they were going to tour. But then it didn't seem right without Roy, and it would have been an interesting an interesting tour, I would say. Oh, I de- think. definitely think yeah. it would have been fun. Petty, his Wilbury name was Charlie T. Wilbury Jr. <laughs> also did some solo stuff in the full, you know, full moon fever, had uh, Won't Back Down, Running Down a Dream. And he had help with uh, from Mike Campbell of the band, as well as Jeff Lynne and George Harrison. Yeah, that's one of those... Um, it, they've always said it's, uh, you know, it's Tom Petty uh, solo album, but... Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there was <laughs> yeah. a lot going on there, uh, including some of the heartbreakers. Right. Wildflowers, You Don't Know How It Feels, A Higher Place, which I really like. These used to play at the Indians games when the Indians lost in mm. the 90s. A Higher Place. For some reason, they played that song. Um, I like it, though, and it features all the members of his band. So we oh, were just yeah. talking about that. You know, he got along with everybody in the band. And 
with the exception of drummer Stan Lynch, he did not appear on that album Wild Flowers for some reason. Mike Campbell also uh, would become a longtime collaborator with Stevie Nicks. He worked on eight of her solo albums. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. And of course, we know he wrote uh, Boys of Summer. Sure. Don Henley. Uh, Roy Orbison he worked with, Joe Cocker, Linda Ronstadt. Mike Campbell also worked with Paul Carrick, Michael McDonald, and Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20, either as a songwriter or producer. He's now one of the two that replaced Lindsey Buckingham, along with Neil Finn oh, that's right, yeah. as guitarist on mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac Tour. Um, played I Won't Back Down at the concert for 9-11. Tom did in New York City, fall of 2001. Yeah. What an appropriate song that is. Absolutely. The following year, Tom played Tex Man, I Need You, and Handle With Care at the concert for George at the Royal Albert Hall to commemorate the one-year anniversary of George's death. Right. I still can't believe it's been that long ago. That's incredible, yeah. He was taken for, from us uh, way too young. Mike Campbell also uh, would become a longtime collaborator with Stevie Nicks. He worked on eight of her solo albums. I know that. I didn't realize that. And of course, we know he wrote uh, Boys of Summer. Sure. Don Henley. Uh, Roy Orbison he worked with, Joe Cocker, Linda Ronstadt. Mike Campbell also worked with Paul Carrick, Michael McDonald, and Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20, either as a songwriter or producer. He's now one of the two that replaced Lindsey Buckingham, along with Neil oh, Finn that's right, yeah. as guitarist on mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac Tour. Um, played I Won't Back Down at the concert for 9-11. Tom did in New York City, fall of 2001. Yeah. What an appropriate song that is. Absolutely. The following year, Tom played Tex Man, I Need You, and Handle With Care at the concert for George at the Royal Albert Hall to commemorate the one-year anniversary of George's death. Right. I still can't believe it's been that long ago. That's incredible, yeah. He was taken for, from us uh, way too young. Frankie, at that concert, guess who played... Uh, as a guest performer in the backup band, Alto Sax, Tom Scott. Really? Oh, the 
ubiquitous. ubiquitous one. Yes. Tom Petty did a cameo appearance in the 1978 film FM. Remember the DJ movie? It That's featured right. the yeah. song by Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. He also guest starred on the It's Gary Shandling show in the late 80s, playing himself, and also in the Kevin Costner film The Postman. Which, along with a was a water world kind of yeah kind of spelled doom for Kevin yeah Costner. exactly <laughs> kind of uh, ruined his career at the at the time as he did as many did uh, appeared in The Simpsons as well as a recurring role on the uh, animated show King of Hill and played the role of Elroy Lucky Kleinschmidt. My son would know that because he likes King of the Hill. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. Never seen it. You know, he had his troubles with his record company over the years, but he even had trouble with B.F. Goodrich Tires in 1987. Really? A song they were using for one of their ads. He said, no, 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 no. Can't do that. So he was actually awarded 12.5% of the royalties, along with Jeff Lynne, for the Sam Smith hit called Stay With Me a few years ago. Remember, that was kind of a controversial thing. Sam Smith had yeah. that, that song, and, and uh, it sounded like I won't back down. So he got 12.5% of the royalties. Okay. Thanks to Jeff Lynn. Tom passed away in October 2017. Yes. It's so sad. Just a couple of weeks before his 67th birthday, found unconscious in his home, taken in the hospital, resuscitated, would pass away. It was eventually determined that he died accidentally of cardiac arrest after taking a mixture of pain pillars and antidepressants. Apparently, mm. he was in such pain uh, from the hip that was supposed to be replaced. He was in a lot of pain with his knee, too, but he just wanted to be on the road and perform in front of yeah, the people. And that, meant, that would have meant a long rehab for him with those two procedures, which sure. were serious. So he felt he owed it to his fans and his crew not to take time off to have that surgery. So instead, kind of wow. you know, managed with the pain with the painkillers and the antidepressants. Yeah, but that's not a good way to, that's not a good way to handle it. Yeah. Hollywood Walk of Fame star, 1999, Tom Petty. 
And then uh, George and Ira Gershwin Award for Lifetime Achievement in 1996. Oh, really? Wow. That's, that's quite an accolade. That's quite a, yeah, that's big time. Billboard's Century Award and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, which we mentioned earlier, 2002. That's quite a career for Tom Petty. Absolutely. So I think I, I know I have damned the torpedoes. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Yeah. And that was one I did not part with at the record store while selling them back. I kept that oh, one. Okay. I think. Like I said before, I have some on CD as well, and I've downloaded. I have that album probably three different ways. Right. I know I have uh, Full Moon Fever, yeah. definitely. And Traveling Wilburys. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has that CD, right. too. Handle with Care was a great song. Good good tune, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I would have loved to have seen them in concert. Yeah, definitely. That would have been fun. And some more music from them, too. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. It's something that maybe would have been re- recurring through yeah, the Yeah, I think that's what they would have done, yeah. yeah. It's good that he also got along with his bandmates. You know, there's so much strife involved, and, you know, whether there's petty jealousy or not, or whatever reason people leave a band, Sometimes you lose your drummer or your keyboardist or they want to do other things. Yeah, there's so few that seem to get get along. I mean, we've told the story a hundred times, haven't we, mm-hmm. about uh, the people that don't get along. So it's nice when a group gets along. Do you, I, I don't know if you ever appeared at Blossom, do you think? Uh, What's that? Tom Blossom Petty? Music Center? Yeah, yeah, I think that's where I saw be a him. good venue yeah, for him, absolutely. wouldn't you think? Yeah. Uh, it can be interactive with the crowd and... You know, just just the right size, yeah, too. The right size. Yeah. like a really good guy. You know, yeah. somebody you want to work with. A lot of people did. Stevie Nicks loved working with him. Absolutely. And people. Well, it started out in a dirty road. Started out. Across the hill And the town lit up And the world got still I'm ready to fly But I ain't got wings Coming down Is the hardest thing So it's a shame we lost him at a relatively young age of 67 years old, or right around there. And But uh, what a great compilation of music he left us. Definitely. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are featured artists this week. Next week, we are beginning to round out our classic conversations this spring. We'll end the month of April with Jimi Hendrix as our featured artist. CCR, our featured artist, as we begin May. Then brand new episode starts right around mid-May, maybe the 8th of May, with Hall & Oates as our featured artist. Join us as we begin Season 8, just a few weeks from now. 